I'm Barbara Bray. Welcome to my Rethinking Learning podcast, where I have conversations with inspirational educators, thought leaders, and change agents. I have been wanting to talk to Paul Emmerich, France, for so long. Actually, I just talked to him not too long ago. So it was so cool that he said, I want to be on your show. So he's here today. I'm so glad you're here, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. Let me tell um, everyone a little bit about you first. Okay. Actually, I'm going to boast about you because I think you're amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So here we go. Paul teaches third grade and is a national board certified teacher. Um, You know, he contributes to the education conversation regarding personalized learning and social justice education. Oh, we need those. And you know what I feel about personalized learning, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're going to talk about that. So here's what you did. You helped debunk many of the myths of personalized learning, including some of mine. (laughs) 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 We had a long talk about that. Okay. Yeah. And Paul helps paint a picture of what personalized learning ideally looks like in the classroom. So Paul will be sharing this in our podcast, a little bit of this, because there's so much, and more in his upcoming book. And I love the title, Reclaiming Personalized Learning, a Pedagogy for Restoring Equity and Humanity in Our Classrooms. Wow. Welcome, Paul. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm very lucky. I got a a preview um, of your book, so I can't wait to dig into it with you and talk about it. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and your background? Yeah. Uh, So I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago in a little town called Mount Prospect, uh, where friendliness is a way of life. That's what they, that's what they say there. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, I had a really wonderful upbringing and great teachers and really great schools that I had the privilege of going to. And um, I was there all the way until I graduated high school, where and then I went to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and did my undergrad in elementary ed, and then my master's in at Roosevelt University in, in reading, and uh, now I'm national board certified. And yeah, I really owe it all to uh, just a great family and a, a great place where I was able to grow up. Oh, is your family still there? Yep, they're still in the same house. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you have any sisters or brothers? I have um, two sisters, and I have an older brother. Two younger sisters and an older brother. We were a big, full house. Oh, fun. Does everyone live close? Yeah, everyone lives pretty, pretty close, yeah. yeah. And you're there now. You're close. Yep. yep. Oh. So what you said all of this about you, you know, and having a wonderful life, but what was it like being a student? Um, so I was always, I was kind of like your rule follower, typically like on the higher achieving side student, it was all good and well because the education system worked well for me. Um, but it wasn't until I really became a teacher that I saw that not everybody is like me and not everybody was like me, you know, when I was growing up and it's definitely shaped the way that I see the classroom now. And I see my kids now because I, and this is what I try and touch on in in my book and in my writing that, you know, the education system was in its current form was really built for, for people who were like me as a student growing up. And that's just not fair. It's not inclusive. And um, so, yeah, so it's heavily impacted the way that I, I see my kids and I see my classroom now. And I try to, you know, build an environment that 
helps kids like me be successful, but that also helps all kids, regardless of learning preferences or learning needs. You know, I, I try to make sure that all of them can be successful in the classroom. You're lucky that you were like, I was very lucky. Was the system? Yeah. I mean, it, for me, I learned how to do school, but I wasn't the greatest student. I just did it and it didn't help me with my learning. I didn't, you know, I mean, I felt like it wasn't pushing me in the right directions. Did you feel that also? Um, I don't think I was aware of that, but I think when I was in, when I was in college and I, I realized just how many life experiences I hadn't had. And like, I, I think I learned how to think on my own for the first time in college. And it's, you know, again, this isn't, this isn't reflecting anything negatively about my teachers growing up or my schools growing up. It's just that I think we were in a different frame or a different way of thinking at that time, you know, and I, I wish that I would have had what my kids get now, you know, the kinds of rich conversations we have and all that sort of thing. Because yeah, the, the, the idea is that we want kids to leave our classrooms being autonomous, being independent, being able to think critically, but also along the way, finding things they like like to do, things they're interested in, and also finding a way to, or finding a purpose, you know, within the collective in the classroom. And I think that's, that's really important. I don't think that was the way it was designed. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and now it's changing. And that's why, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying reading all, all, you know, you're writing so much. I, sometimes I keep opening another magazine, I go online and there's an article about, that you did. And what was the first place you started writing? Was it on your own blog or did you start writing for other Yeah, it was my own blog. I, um, you know, honestly, I wanted to become, uh, I wanted to write a children's book. Um, and I was Googling like, you know, how do you become an author? And it said, start a blog because you're going to need to have a following to get an agent and yada, yada, yada. And so I started, <laughs> I started a blog in, uh, in six, six and a half years ago now called, I called it the thinking specialist. And I called oh. <laughs> it the thinking specialist because the way I view the classroom, at least for elementary school teachers is that, you know, like I'm not necessarily an expert in any one content area. You know, I like to think that I, I know, I know how to teach math well and reading well and writing well, but like, I'm not a content expert. I'm, I'm a thinking expert. You know, my job is to teach my kids how to be critical thinkers. And so I need to know a lot about how thinking and metacognition work. That's why I called it that. And then I started to not like that name anymore. And then I just changed it to paulembrick.com. And then um, it's, it's called inspired Um, because I realized what I was, what I was writing a lot about was how do we help kids see themselves in the curriculum? You know, and I think that's like the essence of personalization, right? It's like, it's meaningful and relevant to all individuals because they can see themselves in it and then find a purpose in it. And so I just started, I mean, I just literally started writing. And I think that's what anybody who wants to write out there is you just got to start doing it and you're going to have posts that are awful. And you look back later and go, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I put that online for everyone to see. And then you're going to have things that are like timeless and that you're so proud of and that are there forever. And you're so happy they are, but you have to have both, you know, which this is where vulnerability comes in, right? You know, it's like you have to have the good and the bad in order to do something like that, in my opinion. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because I've been writing since... I started rethinking learning on a different platform that I own uh, a long time ago, 2004. So I started going back and looking at some of my my blogs and um, 
Some of them were pretty good, and they, but they're really old, so they need to be updated. Some were so bad. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's how mine are, too. I was like, I had no idea, but I did put it out there. And now I'm, I, I'm so glad you talked about vulnerability. That's a tough thing. So hard. Because teachers, they're so, they have to be the expert. They think they have to be the expert in the room. And they don't want to look like they're making any mistakes. I, I know that um, this is some things that are in your book, but do you want to mention vulnerability? And, sure. And what that means about writing and whatever, you know, they putting themselves out there, right, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think it's essential to learning, no matter what type of learning you're doing. If it's professional learning, um, if it's you're trying, if it's that you're just trying to learn how to be a better teacher, or if it's you know our kids are trying to learn. I actually do have an article called "The Value of Vulnerability" coming out in Educational Leadership oh. in September. I think is when it comes out, where I write about this very thing. It's like it's kind of this glue in our classrooms, you know. Like if 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 our kids don't feel comfortable opening up and letting themselves be seen, and that means like the good and the bad and the ugly then we can't actually reach them, you know, in a a meaningful way, because in order for learning to be relevant and meaningful and personal, you know, we need to be able to meet them where they are and help them overcome their obstacles. And also, we also need to find time and find ways to, you know, validate and appreciate their assets as well. Um, But if we don't, if we're not able to see those obstacles, then we can't help them. And that's what I say to my kids all the time. I'm like, you know, if we have an assessment or something and I say, you know, if you don't know what it is, if you don't know what to, what, what to write or what to do, write me a note. Say, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what this word means. Like, tell me that because the whole purpose of assessment in my classroom is I want to, I want to know what I need to teach you next. And if you let me know what I need to teach you next, I can do that. And that's, that's a vulnerable position to be in to say, I don't know. And I think there's a lot of pressure on lots of kids and lots of teachers oh, I should already know all this stuff. And I tell my kids, if I thought you already were supposed to know this stuff, I wouldn't be trying to teach it to you. I'm teaching it to you because I think that you don't know it. I just want to make sure that, you know, you actually need to learn it before I teach it to you. So I think, you know, vulnerability, you can just, you find it everywhere, not just in schools, but everywhere in the world. It's, it's, it's essential to learning. Yeah. I, I'm, I can't wait to read that article. <laughs> that's because I mean the one thing that's difficult is you've been pushing yourself. You're getting up on stage now. I mean you're doing yeah. keynotes and and I I I'm doing that. I I'm challenging myself to do things I never thought I yeah. could do. And I've made some big but <laughs> I've bombed several times and people have said, "Wow, you really bombed." Oh, there. Wow. <laughs> but I know. Well, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I'm just saying. We are <laughs> in our my own eyes. Worst critics. We're our own worst critics. Yeah, actually, I was writing about something like that today on Twitter. How? Because someone was talking about vulnerability, and I was mentioning that I'm with professional development. I get like good evaluations. I get one baby bad one, and I just focus on that one. I don't. But I'm now looking at it. That one is the one that's going to make me better. Because sometimes we need to know that we can grow and we can learn. And that's what you're talking about is we grow from our struggles and our challenges. Totally. And I think it's essential to, to personalization, right? You know, it's, and it's, it's also something that unites all of us. We all have obstacles and challenges. And so it's something we can talk about in our classrooms, you know, that these obstacles and challenges you have, you know, I'll say something like this to my kids. 
it's it's not supposed to be a place of shame or a source of shame. It's supposed to be, hey, we're in a community where we all have these things. And and if we know each other's obstacles, we can actually help each other overcome our obstacles. Like, how beautiful is that, you know, to be able to do that in, in the classroom? And likewise with, with other teachers too, right? You know, it's like we want to be able to be vulnerable with our colleagues so that we can say, hey, I'm, I don't know a lot about guided reading or I don't know a lot about, you know, math manipulatives or whatever it is. Can you help me? Like, what an awesome thing to be able to do, you know? Yeah. In fact, I saw there are several schools that are starting to do co-teaching models. And if they don't can't be in the same room, what they might do is send the kids that need more help to the other teacher. And then we're all sharing and supporting each other. I mean, the problem is, is there's a lot of responsibility put on the teacher for what the kids learn. The kids have to take some responsibility, too, by asking for support. And that that's what you said. And I mean, I guess we're going to talk about your book because <laughs> if we must, we must. I know we must. I can't wait till this comes out. I want everyone to get it. it it's, I'm going to read the title again. Reca- Reclaiming Personalized Learning, a Pedagogy for Restoring Equity and Humanity in Our Classrooms. We need this. I mean, we don't talk about equity. We don't talk about the human in the room. And some people have mixed up personalized learning with technology and others strategy. So this is why I think you needed to write this book. Is that why you needed to write this book? I mean, I mean, what was your why? I th- my, that's a great question. So my why was like my own realization, you know, that I was getting personalization wrong. And I feel really lucky and I feel really grateful that I entered the personalized learning realm when I did, you know, because I think a lot of us have been learning a lot about it and making mistakes with it. I mean, you want to talk about vulnerability again. It's like, I, this is another place where I look at some of my old blogs and I go, wow, I was, I was a believer of the myths that I now say are myths, you know? It, and I think that's, but that's, that's good, right? It's like, that's good to be able to look back on something you wrote and go, I don't, I don't think that anymore because I've grown so much and I've learned so many new things, you know? Um, and so, yeah, my why was I was working in Silicon Valley for three years for an education technology startup. Um, I was teaching the whole time. We were opening schools and building technology. And um, to make a very, very, very long story short, at the end of my three years, I realized that, you know, we were just trying to monetize tools that were individualizing curriculum. And it wasn't doing anything to make learning more meaningful and more relevant. Um, But I noticed it was this really pervasive, you know, way of thinking about personalization that we need a computer to be sending curriculum to our kids and like almost programming them with content, you know, and that's not what learning is. That's not what personalized learning is in my opinion. And so I wanted to write something that talked about helping all kids feel valued and seen and heard in the classroom. Um, and speaking to, you know, what you just mentioned about like the human, like the human being and that you can, you can reach, a group of human beings without individualizing their curriculum. You can build community. You can help them, you know, access their autonomy and actualize their autonomy. There's so many other ways than individualizing. And that's, it just was this big wow moment for me. And I was like, I need to, I need to share this idea with other people and I need to see what they think about it. And through doing that, I have been able to shape the idea, you know, over the last couple of years. So I'm really grateful for that. 
So I'm going to bring it up. You actually <laughs> go for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how did you, 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 I didn't want to say you dissed. How do you say it? You put in our, our chart. I respectfully disagree. And, uh, well, no, no, no. You actually did a good thing. You did a good thing. Cause you know, I've actually realized I needed to change the chart. So I had the same realization as you mainly my chart is personalization versus differentiation versus individualization. And what happened is as soon as this went out, educators were reaching out to me saying, I, am I bad because I'm not doing, I mean, I'm still doing whole class. I'm still doing, I mean, does this make me a bad teacher? And I went, oh no, that wasn't the idea. Right. And the other thing that happened is I started, I did, brought a focus group together of teachers all over the world who's told me why they like the chart, but they don't like it. And this is why. And they helped me build a new one that included whole class and, you know, yeah. it changed. Yeah. And it put personalization in a different area. It explains some of the things. It's still not perfect. Nothing's perfect. Nothing's perfect. But I use it now in a different way. But I think after seeing what you wrote, which you can explain. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Go ahead, because I thought it was it was really helpful to me. For sure, yeah. I mean, I, I think I want to say, first of all, that I would not be where I am with my thinking if it wasn't for you and Kathleen and your books. So like, I want to start there because, again, it's like if we're going to learn together, then we are going to put ideas out there and put theories out there, and then we're going to be open to them changing. I felt it necessary to talk about your chart because you know, you guys are the thought leaders in personalized learning. So it'd be, I would be remiss to write a book about personalization and not, you know, include what's already out there. Um, so that's, let's just that first and foremost. And then second, you know, the way I see it is a personalization, differentiation and individualization are all very connected to one another. Um, and I think that, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that, um, they are three different words that mean three different things. And we need those three different words because, if they didn't mean three different things, there'd be no purpose for the three different words, you know? So I, the way I see it is that, you know, personalization is the art of making learning meaningful and relevant to the individual. So there's individualization kind of embedded in that, but what we assume oftentimes is that, you know, that the teacher needs to do the individualizing for the student or not. We, not I, when I say we, I don't mean you and me. I say, I mean like the Royal, we like all of education assumes that we've got to send, we've got to give, give every kid a different worksheet, or we've got to put them on an adaptive learning tool. So they're all getting different activities or something like that. And what I, what I think is that individualization is achieved in a personalized learning model through a child's autonomy. So you can give an entire class of kids the same open-ended task, you know, and I, I use the, or I subscribe to the way of thinking of like complex instruction where you you, you specifically design curriculum so that there are varied entry points for a diverse group of learners. And when all of the kids converge around this common task or common provocation, their unique schema, their identity, you know, they shape it in their own unique way. And that's, that's where it becomes individualized, you know? Um, so I think that individualization in that regard can be really learner-centered and really learner-driven if we have a conversation about autonomy and how we're supporting that and if we design curriculum in that way. And then differentiation, I think, works in the, into that because that is a that encompasses our instruction and our classroom environment. You know, to have differentiated instruction in a differentiated classroom classroom environment, you're intentionally engineering it 
so that that diverse group of learners okay. can integrate or can converge with one another. You know, that's what my, I understood. So now when people take these concepts, I still bring in whole class. because. But I also tell uh, teachers, how can you turn it over so learners are more autonomous and have agency in any of these any of these um, approaches, maybe in an, you know, if you say individualized, they can have autonomy by knowing what resources and tools or whatever they need to do the learning. What about whole class? Could they be the ones that present something that they share? And so it's not all the responsibility is on you and you're not as a teacher held accountable for the learning the kids are. Right. Sound good? Yeah, totally. And I think I think in that too, right, is that there's this there's this idea of partnership. And that's why I talk about like human connection so much, right? Like that is the thing that makes learning so personal is when we connect when we can connect with someone else. Like you and I are learning right now through this conversation, right? Because we're just having a conversation. And I think in the whole group or whole class experiences, you know, one of my go-to quote unquote go-to instructional strategies is turn and talk. It's so simple. It's like Mr. Oh, France just yeah, said something yeah. about, you know, something in math or like, uh, you know, we're studying communities and social studies. Mr. France just said this idea, turn and talk. What do you think about that? And then, so, you know, a kid shares an idea. I say, oh, so-and-so, you know, said they think this. Turn and talk. Do you agree or disagree? Have a conversation. And that is like, that's personalized learning right there. It's so simple. It's right in front of us. But I don't know. We've forgotten that. I don't know why, but we've forgotten that. Well, I think as teachers, we... We were taught to be, um, the, like I said in the beginning, the all-knowing expert. We're supposed to, I mean, they went through a whole period through No Child Left Behind where they had to be the high-quality teacher around that subject area, which meant they were the ones that had to teach everything, where we forgot that kids know a lot already. <laughs> we just have to give them some opportunities to share that. You know, you have five personalization myths, and you start off the book with those, especially because you're responding to like the fourth industrial revolution that where we're at right now. This was a great way to get people hooked in. Well, thank you. Is, is that how you do your speeches too? Do you do that? I mean, you know, I could talk to you all day about this because your book is amazing. Well, thank you. Um, I mean, I, I think that the myths themselves are a really big, they're just like a really big topic, you know? So like, I feel like I could do an entire talk just on those myths, but I think they're so powerful because it's like, I think that's what makes a myth really powerful. You know, it's like you, you don't realize it until someone mirrors it back to you. And it's like, Hey, that actually doesn't make sense. Even though like everybody's doing it, it doesn't actually, it's not grounded in, you know, but I think it's really easy when you're a teacher it, or in education, it's really easy for us to just do what's been done and not question it. I also think there's not a lot of incentives in schools for teachers to really push back and question, which is a shame. You know, I think that speaks to, you know, a cultural thing that we need to fix. Um, but I'm glad the myths resonated because I think they're pretty powerful. And you talk about teachers, but I mean, a lot of, every time I talk to teachers, they say, I just don't have the time. That's the biggest thing that they say. But the problem is, is that let's look at your teaching and maybe restructure it so you have more time and you bring that up. With the myths, I mean, I think like what you just said too, you know, pe teachers say, I don't have the time. And that's something I try to convey, I think when I'm talking about this is that sustainability has to be a part of the conversation because if teachers are burnt out, 
that is, and I talk a lot, you know, about dehumanized personalization versus humanized personalization. And if teachers are burnt out and they, you know, leave work exhausted every day, like that's dehumanizing. You know, if they leave work feeling undervalued or devalued, that's dehumanizing. And so we have to have a conversation about sustainability within personalized learning because personalized learning is important. I don't think it's going away, but we have to do it in a way that doesn't, it's not just another thing that teachers are doing. We have to find the places where we can, you know, trim the fat, if you will. And I think that um, that's why that's why it's so powerful to think of like, well, how can I personalize in the whole group? Because that is sustainable, right? To be able to personalize in the whole group. You brought up something about teachers. They're human. Yeah. And they also need, they need personalized professional learning. I mean, the and they need to be doing self-care and show their, I mean, how can they show their vulnerability if they don't even, if they feel like they have to teach to the content? I, I do this one where you try to cover the curriculum or should you uncover the learning? Oh, I love that. To me, it's like, we just keep trying to squeeze everything into this little, you know, into the time and the kids aren't going to be able to remember all of that. I mean, unless they can experience it themselves and talk about it and have time to really put their hands around it, right? Well, and I think this is where, you know, if you want to talk sustainability and personalization and what you just mentioned, where project-based learning comes into play, right? When we create project-based experiences in our classrooms, we are able to make the content we need to cover a little bit more sustainable because it's a reality for a lot of teachers, right? We have to teach them certain skills. It's our responsibility. It's our duty to do that. Um, But we can do it in a way that's a little bit more creative and that is more sustainable. So for instance, I do this project at the end of the year where the kids design a neighborhood based on the needs of residents in the neighborhood. Super fun. And they build scale models of, of buildings. And so they're, they're calculating area, they're calculating perimeter, they're collaborating with their peers and figuring out where to place things. And there's this whole like, you know, logical thinking component to it and whatever. It's great. It's this really rich experience where I am every day collecting data on whether or not they can calculate area and perimeter, whether they can multiply, whether they can add, but it's in this really relevant, human, meaningful experience. And it's funny that we, we, we actually didn't get as far in the project as they wanted to this year for an, a whole host of reasons. And the kids were like, oh, we're not going to finish the project. And I said, you know, we, we probably won't. But I don't think, first of all, you know, a neighborhood is never done being built and designed. So that's kind of just a reality. And I said, do you know how to calculate the area of rectangles? They said, yep. I said, do you know how to calculate the perimeter of rectangles? They said, yep. I said, do you know how to design a neighborhood based on what residents say they need? They said, yep. I said, then you did what you needed to do. We didn't finish the project and that's okay, but we learned yeah. a ton, you know? And I think that's like, and it's, it's getting back to this idea of, you know, like trimming the fat, teaching in a sustainable way that still, that still teaches them the skills that they need to learn. It's possible, but it is, it takes, you have to look at your teaching. You do. It's not, the product, it's the process. Totally. And you just mentioned that in this whole neighborhood activity, you also built relationships. They had to talk to each other. They also probably did speaking and writing standards. Think of all the standards that they met. So many. I mean, right? really. And it was it was kind of cool that one of the groups, I had three groups in the classroom, so there were three neighborhoods being built simultaneously. And, and one of the groups, there were just so many conflicts when it started. So many. And that was my, like, this is, you know, this is a challenge. This is an obstacle. This is my entry point as a teacher to teach them how to resolve these things in the group. And by the end of the, you know, eight weeks to see them, to look over and to see them like all huddled around their community map and like 
having their talking stick out and passing the talk to see that happening, you know, that's super valuable. And we don't measure that kind of stuff on a test, but it's, it's incredibly critical for success later on and in the present. Oh my goodness. Resolving conflicts and, and you're teaching what? Third grade? Third grade. Yeah. Third grade. Just imagine if we could all (laughs) learn how to pass the talking stick (laughs) I know, right? We wouldn't be having some of these problems as adults now, right? Yeah. And so this is probably, I mean, the whole thing about building relationships and being able to communicate effectively is so much more important than some of the content that we're trying to, you know, feed them. I totally agree. So think about, because you brought up conflict resolution, just think about all the skills that you're teaching now. Why do we need to go to personalized learning? Why do we need to teach vulnerability and conflict resolution? Why is it so important? Well, I think every movement in education is a response to what came before, and it's a response to the needs of the present. And it's, you know, I get upset thinking about it, but you just look at the world around. I mean, you already said it, Barbara. Look at the world around us. You know, we have a culture of invulnerability and a culture of perceived exceptionalism and competition and self-interest. And it's gotten us into this really dark and really sad place, I think. Uh, It makes me really sad to think that it can start in our classrooms or the change can start in our classrooms. It's going to be a long road, I think. But, you know, to think that, like, I'm working with my third graders on how to resolve conflicts and how to be open with one another and how to talk about our obstacles in a I don't know, humble way that helps us connect with one another. I think there's a lot of really great change we can make, you know, doing that. And so I think that's why it matters because there's a lot of problems that we can solve by teaching our kids better. You know, when we know better, we do better. And I think when we do better, we teach better. I got to write that quote down. That's so good. (laughs) (laughs) We know better, we teach better. And when we teach better, they do better. Oh my gosh, that is so good. Um, you know, this whole idea that you're talking, I don't want to end on a sad note because we're setting, yeah. I, you know, I want to really bring in that teaching the way you're talking about reclaiming personalized learning and, and bring it for equity and, and bringing the humanity back into the classroom means that we're going to create citizens that care. Yes. That have empathy. And you talk about this I'm, and some of your, I'm just going to bring up some of the things that you talk about is cultivating awareness. That's uh, one whole chapter. And this idea of being aware of who you are, if they know in third grade or even earlier, and the teachers know how to build that autonomy and, and agency, which is another, is the next chapter. Yeah. <laughs> what I see is that you are providing in this book, not only the you know, the background on this, you're giving practical ideas on how you can do this in your classroom. I'm your biggest advocate right now. Oh. I'm going to push this book like crazy Thank you, Barbara. when it comes out. When is it planning on coming out? Uh, October, I believe it's the 15th, October 15th. That's okay. what Amazon, that's what Amazon well. says. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, we'll yeah. see. And then you, people can even pre-order. So we're going to put some yes. links to that because I want people to do that. But you also have one thing, and, and we talked about it already, is the power of asking why. I think we need to start pushing that out big time on why we need to do this. And we want, 
every parent wants their child to be a success and have a good life. And if we're concerned about right now, it's their future that we have to prepare for. You know, I, I, I know I left out something, but is there anything that you want to mention that I forgot? I know you mentioned social justice, but is there anything in? I mean, I think we, we've kind of touched on it, but you know, I, there's a reason why the last section of the book is equity. You know, it's, I didn't put it first for a reason um, because I wanted, I want people to leave with this message that this really is all about equity and it's all about identity. I just get, I get chills just like thinking about it and talking about it. Cause I feel like it's the key, you know, it's like the, you turn the key and like you unlock it. That's really what I think where the intentions for personalization lie. Everybody's different. We all have our own identities. They're all intersectional. And, and from these identities, you know, our assets, our strengths, our challenges are born. And that's what we're trying to do in our classrooms. What I, what I hope the book offers. And I think this is where it kind of, it really does deviate from a lot of the conversation about uh, personalized learning is this conversation about identity and equity, meaning that, you know, we are creating environments where everybody has a shot, everybody has access. But then this conversation about justice being that we're also actively removing barriers for kids, whether it's students of color, working class or low income students, LGBTQ students, our identities should not impact our ability to access a meaningful and personal education. And, and that's, we've touched on that, but that is really what I hope people walk away with. Cause I think our pedagogy is going to change. Our schools are going to change. Our kids are going to change. But if we keep that at the center of our intentions for building a new education system, I think we'll make some really positive changes. That was beautiful. I have to end it there. Cause that was just the way that was just unbelievable. Paul, Thanks. you are, you are a gift oh. to, um, and I think if, if anyone can, if, if whenever you're speaking, you got to be able to, people have to hear you. You're, Thank you're you, just, Barbara. You're making me like a little emotional right now. Thank you. I appreciate I know. that. Well, this is, this is a gift for me. Mm. So oh. thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I know we're both crying. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me yeah, on here. I really just, wonderful. I appreciate it so much. And I'm so glad that we got coffee at South by Southwest and that we're friends now. And it's, I'm, I'm happy. Thank you. Oh, me too. That was, that was wonderful. I'm giving you a virtual hug and have the, me too. have a <laughs> wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Paul Emmerich France. Make sure you check out the complimentary blog post about Paul and his amazing story along with wonderful resources and links. Please subscribe to the podcast. We welcome a review on iTunes and hope you retweet and share out the post about the podcast. You can also subscribe to my website, barbarabray.net to receive announcements and updates so you don't miss any of the conversations.